This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for May 29th, 2017. In this podcast, I've got an interview with a Canadian writer, broadcaster, secularist and liberal activist who founded the Muslim Canadian Congress. Enjoy the interview. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. There's a video that you should see. It's a drama made by the BBC, the British National Broadcaster. I'm not sure how or when it'll be shown outside the UK. I've seen that on YouTube. There are the whole of the three hour long episodes. I'm not sure how legal that is or how long it'll stay up, but I'm sure you can find it somewhere on some other service if you want to. Another challenge, if you're not from the UK, you might find some of the accents a bit difficult. So maybe try with subtitles. The reason for that is that it's set in the northern English town of Rochdale. Rochdale is a town close to Manchester. It's got a population of about 100,000 and about a quarter of its population is of Asian origin. Although measuring that is a bit tricky, it depends on whether you count just the town or the wider metro area since Asians tend to live more centrally in the town. And Rochdale is poor. And that's central to the video that you should see. The video's a drama, as I said. It's in three hour-long episodes, and it's called Three Girls. And the title characters are three young teenagers from Rochdale. They represent, according to the British government inquiry, more than 1,400 girls. I'm going to pause just for a moment for you to take that number in. More than 1,400 girls who were sexually abused by men who chatted them up, gave them fast food, alcohol, sometimes drugs, and gained influence over them. What's called grooming. And having gained influence, they sexually abused the girls, raped them, and in some cases rented them out to be raped by other men. This went on for years, and as well as the abuse of the girls, the drama looks at how the authorities reacted to what was going on. Most, but not all of the girls, came from quite poor backgrounds. Some of them had chaotic lives, were alienated from their parents. In other words, they didn't have a strong adult presence protecting them. The drama follows one community health worker who repeatedly reported the child abuse and rapes to the police. But the police took little effective action and the scandal, since exposed in that government report, was that two attitudes let this go on for years, although many of the men have now been convicted in relation to the case. The first is that all of the perpetrators were Muslim men from a Pakistani or Afghan background, and all of the victims that we know of were white. The second is that the girls didn't look like middle-class, well-spoken A students. Some of them drank, had sex, stayed out late. The combination of these two factors, it seems, paralyzed the authorities. 
they were so afraid of being seen to be racist that they were walking on eggshells any time they dealt with ethnic minorities. They were anxious to find any other explanation other than the obvious one, that hundreds of girls were being abused and raped. And there was one explanation that suited them. Many of the girls were not perfect candidates to be seen as blameless victims by a jury. One scene in the film shows a police officer referring to the girls as underage prostitutes. The health worker replies that there's no such thing as an underage prostitute. She says that they are abuse victims. There are two things to take away from this. The first is that victims are not always perfect. In this case, I would guess the abusers targeted them for that exact reason. But they're still victims and they still deserve justice. Justice is not justice if it's not justice for all. The second is that being against racism can't mean being against reality. Some crimes are prosecuted in a racist way, there's no doubt about it. White and black Americans use and sell marijuana in much the same proportions, but blacks are vastly more likely to be arrested for it. But when crimes do follow a racial pattern, there's nothing wrong with talking about that, and there's nothing wrong with acting on it. And the third point is that some racial or cultural or religious practices, whatever you want to call it, some of them are just disgusting and should be simply rejected. I don't think you can get away from the fact that aspects of Islam are misogynistic and that is connected with the abuse of women and girls that can be seen in many Islamic countries and with the pattern of crimes that are committed by some immigrants from those countries. Anyone who thinks that respecting diversity should mean not prosecuting those crimes to the full, should take a long look at themselves. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, email podcast at challengingopinions.com and say what you think. One last thing, it's notable that the prosecutor who overturned the original decision not to prosecute these rapists was a guy called Nazir Afzal, a first-generation Pakistani immigrant, and I take two things away from that. First of all, not all Pakistani men are bad, and secondly, that there are no excuses for the ones who are. Anyway, go and look it up and watch the drama. It's called Three Girls. If you like the Challenging Opinions podcast, please rate and review the show on iTunes and other podcast providers. Share it on Facebook and Twitter. Tell your friends, but most important, make your view heard. Email podcast at challengingopinions.com. Make your view heard. Email podcast at challengingopinions.com to set out your ideas and defend them on the next podcast. On the line now, I have Tarek Fatah, who was born in Pakistan, but he lives now in Canada, where he's a writer, a broadcaster, an activist, and he writes a weekly column for the Toronto Sun. Um, Tarek, according to your Wikipedia page, you advocate for gay rights, for separation of religion and state, and against Sharia law. Is that all correct? Uh, in reverse order, yes. Okay. Um, are, are, are you sure that you're a Muslim? I, yes, uh, I am, because the definition of who is a Muslim uh, is up for grabs. And uh, if uh, about 
of the world's Muslims have already been declared as uh, Jewish agents, which is the Shia Muslim, and the Ismailis have been declared as the Kuffar. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Uh, declared by who? By uh, other people. Like, each one has declared the other as non-Muslim. Yes. And everyone is a Muslim, and this has been going on since the day the Prophet died. So there, there shouldn't be much fuss about uh, who is and who isn't, because none of us are by someone else's definition. Obviously that's true, and there's a huge amount of diversity within Islam. Would you accept that you are at the very far uh, liberal conciliatory end of the spectrum of Islam? I'm not comfortable with that definition. Why not? Uh, and uh, let me just elaborate as to why I would say that. Some of the earliest Muslims uh, who became Muslim uh, at the hands of Prophet Muhammad mm-hmm. did so when there was no Quran, mm-hmm. when there was no Hajj, there was no uh, prayer, there, were, there was no, absolutely nothing. The whole essence of Islam at that stage was a Judaic uh, monotheism mm-hmm. and a rejection of priesthood. And uh, over the next uh, 23 years, uh, right up to the day the Prophet died, the people were at each other's throats, pulling their beards and declaring each other non-Muslims. So uh, it isn't uh, 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 whether one is liberal or orthodox. I would consider some of the great heretics of Islam as the most orthodox ones. Um, uh, going back to, say, 10th century Mansur Halaj or in my native Punjab, uh, uh, Buleh Shah, or uh, there's so many others in Bengal or India mm-hmm. who uh, even celebrated atheism and yet were Muslim. So uh, it's, but in contemporary uh, political language, uh, you could say liberal, but it then becomes a slur because liberals today are hardly liberal. They support, they support uh, uh, Sharia law, they support uh, oh, well, polygamy. Wait now, wait, wait support... now. Which, which, which liberals support Sharia law? Are you talking about um, uh, people from a Muslim background? or No, uh, people from the non-Muslim background. The mainstream political setup in the UK or France or Canada or the United States uh, the liberal left is uh, closely tied with uh, look at the uh, look at the speaker uh, invited to uh, speak just next week in New York uh, she's a radical hijabi uh, anti-Jew uh, anti-India anti-America and she's celebrated as the queen bee of the women's march mm-hmm so, you know, that begs the definition as to what we are talking about. Uh, okay, well, um, first of all, I, I think you're right that there are probably some very silly people who support causes that are clearly not liberal. But I want to focus um, for the moment on, on Islam. Do you think that the influence of Saudi Arabia on Muslims in the West is pernicious? Oh, very much so. That's an understatement. Explain why. Uh, because almost uh, 100% of, uh, I'm saying 100% of the Sunni mosques are funded uh, and uh, receive uh, funds from 
Muslim Brotherhood uh, linked to Saudi Arabia, despite the fact Saudi Arabia says we are against the Muslim Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the funding of the Muslim Brotherhood comes from non-state actors within Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have changed the character of uh, uh, Islam and Muslim society uh, in countries that in my lifetime, I, 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 I cannot imagine how much has changed. Uh, completely from the, uh, you take two countries like Pakistan or Somalia, they've dramatically altered. Like people who were born, say, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. they wouldn't believe that in the 60s, uh, going to Mogadishu University or, uh, for example, Africans coming to Karachi to study. In Pakistan, yeah. Complete, yeah, it, it, it was a different world. Our greetings were different, our our food was different, our clothes were different, our headdress was different. And 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 why why is that happening? Why are the Saudis being so successful in influencing the the not only the lifestyles but I think also the beliefs of Muslims around the world? Because in essence, a Sharia law uh, post thirteenth uh, century has declared that the, it is a sin for a non-Arab to be considered equal to an Arab. So the dark-skinned uh, non-Arab person uh, is always inferior to an Arab, and a white-skinned convert to Islam is always the boss. And the inherent racism within Islamic society is uh, most resplendent in uh, Saudi Arabia, where black people are called a ya abdi, which means "oh my slave," mm-hmm. and they respond to it. It is it is entrenched. You you say that this this influence from Saudi Arabia is pervasive in in Somalia and in Pakistan. Uh, does it happen in the West as well? Indonesia and, and in the West. Oh, in the West, West the kids born here uh, wear uh, these attires. Uh, as Muslim Brotherhood symbols of defiance, especially the beehive hijab, as I call it, mm-hmm. which is basically to attract the attention of the male, is now worn uh, under the uh, a false notion that this is to show modesty. <laughs> you don't show modesty with uh, blue mascara and red lipstick and stilettos. And, uh, and a, um, tell me this, um, uh, Tarek, the reason I'm kind of sceptical about what you're saying is that there's no shortage of uh, money coming out of, for example, the United States or indeed Canada as well, going to Christian missionaries around the world in Africa in South America and so forth. They have a limited degree of, they have a limited degree of success, but the... Because they, 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 their, their journey was completed 200 years ago. The notion of uh, a Christian-dominated state run on the basis of the Old or the New Testament is not even there in 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 the Jewish state, let alone the Vatican or Italy or Spain or Portugal. But 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 no, my 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 point is that. 
the very large amount of missionaries and money coming yeah, course, to, coming from the west to, coming coming from the west to the yeah, third world has a very modest influence why is it that such a huge pro- has, because- but why is it that such a huge proportion of of western muslims people who are typically first or second maybe third generation immigrants why is the saudi money having such an enormous influence on them because they're non arabs you find very few second, third generation Arab uh, young men and women gone crazy. But you will see Pakistanis, uh, Malays, Somalis, Nigerians, uh, Trinidadians. I'm not clear how their nationality affects it. Because it's their ethnicity. They're inferior to the Arab. They believe it. That is why an Arab will never have an African name, but every African Muslim will have an Arab name. When did you last hear of an Arab called uh, Ajit? Sure, sure. But I mean, I, I've come across a lot of people who have been either given a falsely high or low uh, vision of themselves through essentially racism, but that doesn't, uh, that doesn't turn them into suicide bombers. This is not bombers. racism. This is not being imposed. This is a self-generated belief. Mm-hmm. I'm an Indian. My name is Ar- in Arabic. Mm-hmm. Do you know of an Arab who has an Indian name? No, no, but but no, but for for example, in in Europe, a huge amount of people's names come from the from the Bible, uh, and that that uh, you know uh, Jewish. Uh, it doesn't uh, come from China. Uh, sure, but the, but the it doesn't the, come the, from the Tatars. Uh, sure, sure, but no, but the Jewish the Jewish what was originally the Jewish Bible it has been hugely influential in Europe, and that leaves it behind cultural traits. That doesn't explain why the propagandizing of this uh, of Saudi Arabia is so successful amongst um, Muslims uh, both Arab and non-Arab Muslims in the West very few Arabs I would suggest to you I work with them they are more Arab nationalists uh, very comfortable with uh, non-Christian Arabs Okay, so so are, are you suggesting are you suggesting, Tarek, that that there's a, uh, some version of um, a low self-esteem, self-hating, trying to hypercompensate uh, among non-Arab Muslims? Yeah. Yes, of course there is. Why else? I'm I'm just asking a, a question. Could you find any Chinese with Mongolian names simply because Mongolia invaded China? You can't have this. You cannot have Poles with uh, 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 named Hitler, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You won't even have a Hitler street anywhere in Europe. It, uh, of course, but of you course. Have it... in India, you, you have in India Aurangzeb Road. But that's a mass murderer. <laughs> we have people naming our kids Temur after Tamur Lane. He reduced the world's population by 5% in his lifetime in the massacre of non-Muslims wherever he went. And he built pyramids of skulls all over India. And there are Muslims who name their children after this mass murderer because there is a way of inflicting pain on uh, mainstream, uh, say, Hindu Indians by saying, well, I take my heritage from the Uzbeks. Anybody called, for example, anybody called Qureshi, which is from the Prophet's tribe, does not live in Arabia or Iraq, or Syria, or Jordan, or Egypt. They all live in India and Pakistan. And, and what, what's the origin of the name Qureshi? The name Qureshi is, I'm superior than you are. Okay, so there is the Ashrafi Muslim, which is the A-grade Muslim, 
And there are four grades of Muslims right across the subcontinent, and that's the largest number of Muslims anywhere. Uh, there, there is close to, I would say, half a billion Muslims live within the subcontinent of this South is Asia. India and Pakistan. Yeah, or Bangladesh together. Black people in the United States have been the victims of uh, extraordinary prejudice. None of them are flying. No, no, Anti-black racism is the only factual racism. Black Christians in the United States, black people in the United States are mostly Christians. They have probably more uh, uh, reason than anyone that, that throughout history to have been uh, uh, victimized uh, and enslaved. None of them go flying airplanes into buildings. Because they are, they, their racism is race-based. It hasn't got a, a, a religion involved in it. The indoctrination into your head that life begins after death, that life on Earth is merely a transit lounge where you get to take the connecting flight to paradise. You think the Vietnamese should not have done? You think they didn't suffer more at the hands of Americans than the Iraqis? But the noble, not a single Vietnamese attacked any civilian anywhere in the world. They fought out, they got their freedom, and they lived as civilized people and built a great economy today. In, in India, for example, 200 years of British rule. There is absolutely no hatred against white Britons. There's actually a bit of an admiration. Yes, more than in the UK, in, in, more than in the UK in any case. But Tarek, I, I, Tarek, I want to just ask, because you, you sound like you're making a very good um, case for atheism. No, I'm not. Uh, it could very well be taken. I have deep respect for atheists, as I have for uh, people who are very orthodox in Islam. I mean, I, I regularly meet with imams who are orthodox, who are non-political. My point is, anyone who uses Islam for politics is in itself exemplifying the most rotten aspects of a heritage. Well, one thing I want to ask you, you're obviously a, a public figure and uh, an economist uh, in, in uh, Canada. Specifically for Western governments, when they see A, Muslims, Muslim immigration, and B, the influence of particularly Saudi money on uh, mosques in the West, what should they do? Well, they should make sure that uh, mosques' charitable status uh, is taken away if they attack uh, non-Muslims every week. It's very simple. I believe in freedom of speech. So an imam or a scholar has the freedom, and people have the freedom to attend. But we cannot subsidize it with taxpayer money. It's very simple. Is, is that the limit? I, I somehow get the, the, um, the impression that um, al-Baghdadi, the, uh, the uh, commander of ISIS, uh, isn't quaking in his boots at the thought of losing, uh, of uh, some Muslim organizations losing tax-exempt status. No, but it is where he cultivates, where does he get his uh, crop from? Why are people from Minneapolis and London flying over? Why are Bangladeshi girls flying over in groups to service jihadis in ISIS? Why, in your why, opinion? Why? Because the, the, the whole notion that the, the, there is a jihad being fought, and it is our duty to service these people. And it is part of the jihad to satisfy the sexual lust of the fighters. So there is a regular supply from Tunisia, from India, from Britain, from Minneapolis. We've just had three, four arrests 
last week from Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tarek, Tarek, if you were to speak directly to someone who was perhaps an alienated youth, some guy who was from a Muslim background who had not gone, got on so well in the West and mm-hmm. um, thought that um, getting on a flight to uh, go and gi- join ISIS would give meaning to his life, what, what would you say to him? I would say this is the era of the nation state. Uh, We are not in the 12th, we are in the 21st century. Uh, Much of what uh, we study or are made to study is uh, uh, completely outdated, irrelevant and uh, inapplicable. And discuss it from there. You can't do this by bringing in interfaith dialogues between priests of different kinds Uh, where people are able to lie through their teeth, you know, and uh, spread smiles while expressing hatred. Tarek Fattah, Canadian-Pakistani writer and broadcaster, thank you very much for talking to me. Okay, you take care. Have you read a blog post or an opinion piece that you think is really right or really wrong? Tell us why. Email podcast at challengingopinions.com and let's discuss it on the next show. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast, published on May 29th, 2017. I have background information and links to some of the things we were talking about in the show notes for the podcast that you can find on the website. Do you know someone who I should interview? What topics should I be covering? I'd be really interested to hear your feedback. If you like the podcast, there's one thing that you could do that would really help other people to find it. Go on iTunes, give the podcast a rating, and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at Changing O, and you can follow Tarek Fatah at Tarek Fatah. And most importantly, subscribe to the show for free. You can use iTunes if you're an Apple person, or Google Play Music if you're on Android. There's links for both of those and the RSS feed if you're old school. And I know that not everyone uses podcast software. A lot of people just listen on the website. So if you're one of those, you can put in your email address on the website and get a simple email with a notification each time a new podcast goes online and zero spam. I promise that. You can find all of that or get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening. Thank you.